Europe was hit by a highly virulent outbreak of malicious data scrambling software causing mass disruption in companies. Has revealed and in every level of government, major industries and essential services are victims of a mass cyber attack from a foreign power. Scott Morrison cyber attack. Top departments say they've been hacked. Russia denies it's behind the campaign, but what does it mean for America's national security? Hi there. Thanks for joining the ETH podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Kakshuri, and you're listening to the third episode of our Uncertainty series. Cybersecurity is per se extremely uncertain, and because it's becoming so important for all aspects of our lives, also due to digitalization that is ongoing, these uncertainties are manifesting in more and more aspects of social and political life. I'm Miriam Dunkavilti. I am a senior researcher at the Center for Security Studies, where I'm also the deputy head for research and teaching. And in my research, I'm mainly interested in cyber matters in politics. And I've always been interested also in risk and uncertainties in security politics and what they do to political actors. In 2013, Miriam could not get away from the news about somebody who was the most wanted man in the United States back then. Uh, my name is Ed Snowden. I'm uh, 29 years old. I work as an infrastructure analyst for NSA. NSA and the intelligence community in general is focused on getting intelligence wherever it can. And to do that, the NSA specifically targets the communications of everyone. It ingests them by default. It collects them in its system and it filters them and it analyzes them and it measures them and it stores them. Edward Snowden gave us proof that intelligence agencies are very active in keeping cyberspace insecure because the logic is that you need to know about vulnerabilities and the vulnerabilities that are the, let's say, unknown vulnerabilities, or at least only known to a few people, are strategically much more interesting because you can use them and nobody has patched them yet. So uh, many intelligence agencies buy these vulnerabilities or the knowledge about these vulnerabilities from a market Part of it is a white or an illegal market. Some of it is illegal. And then use these vulnerabilities. Cybersecurity has become the word on everyone's lips. And it's an important research field at the ETH Zurich. Miriam is a cybersecurity specialist and has an overall view. She knows things about hacks regarding governments and elections, for instance, or about cyber attacks against banks and hospitals. Miriam studied political science and graduated a bit more than 20 years ago when, for example, computers and cell phones looked significantly different than today. I did my master thesis at the time on the use of information operations, as they were called at the time, in the Kosovo conflict. And I looked at how NATO and the American military started developing and using doctrine how to fight information wars, as they were called. At that time, the internet was different than it is today. The use was different. Many things change very dynamically in this field. But really, the cybersecurity aspect came a little later, also as a term. It's quite new, actually, you know, around the 2000s. But then it also became a question of how politics and the security of this cyberspace interact in the sense of like also political solutions for making cyberspace more secure. 
Miriam understood the political dimension of cybersecurity early on. Today, she is a highly respected expert in the field. But what kept her doing what she was doing back then? In a way, I've always tried to do in my life what I like to do and what interests me. And I guess I can say I was lucky in that sense that this fascination with this political aspect of the internet or cyberspace became more than it was at the time. I never thought about it as an uncertainty that influenced me, though. I just kept looking at it, at these phenomena, and as it changed around me, more and more interesting questions emerged. That kept me with the topic, obviously. I do remember, though, that I had a time where I thought, ah, now I think I've said everything. And then that I can say, I need to change my research topic And then Stuxnet happened. That was 2010. Wait a minute. Please remind us, Stuxnet? That was that worm in the Iranian nuclear program. And that's a watershed moment in the cybersecurity story where suddenly it became clear that states had invested, or certain states, had invested a lot of money into the ability to use this space strategically and politically. And that was really a moment where I thought, well, no, now I'm not going to change my topic. And I guess that was the right decision. Meanwhile, cybersecurity has evolved from a niche subject to a big thing. Moments such as Stuxnet or Edward Snowden's revelations changed Miriam's life in a sense. Maybe my phrasing is too dramatic and short, but in a way, these two incidents were key moments for Miriam to stay in the field, a field that attracts students to enroll at the ETH. One of them is Karin Holzhauser. She's a curious person, and I would say that the impossible is always possible regarding what she does. I am a typical ETH student, as I really love my alma mater. I'm studying computer science there. And I chose this study because of the uncertainty coming with cybersecurity. And it's in all of our lives, whether in our private lives by using a phone or by Zoom recording or by running a big industry, cybersecurity is everywhere. I had a career in strategic consultant first, a career as mother, wife and expert spouse second. And it all was based on studying business administration and international relations in Vienna. Cybersecurity is everywhere, Karin just said. That's basically why she actually went back to university. Karin is about to finish her master's degree this coming summer. But what was it actually like in the beginning to be a student again, about double the age of most other fellow students? I have to admit, the first two semesters, I was eyed with suspicion, like, is she now the prof sitting in the background or is she somebody supervising these courses? And it took some courage from my side to explain why I was here. And it took some courage from my fellow students to say, well, let's just give her the benefit of the doubt that she will succeed. With subjects as political science or law, Karin could have gotten involved too. What in the world made Karin study computer science? After all, it isn't really the easiest of all subjects to take up. I want to be technically involved and I want to be technically sound. I think The uncertainty for me taking up this study was also very long. Like I knew I wanted to go back to work, but what did I want to dedicate my next 15 years to or working life to? And it became clear to me I wanted to impact it in something that I found would 
really make a difference for our society. And that for me was privacy rights, identity, information, but also Europe as a whole, our competitive advantage as a group of nations against other nations. And I do find that cyber is a way to differentiate and cyber is a way to secure our importance in the world. And that's why I wanted to study it. In a sense, the foundation was laid a long time ago for Karin to turn to this field. My last project 20 years ago was actually to do a competitive analysis on the security of a smart card because the mafia had hacked it and because one of the competitors supposedly had re-engineered it. But the other thing was really, I read this book, The Circle, and for me that was maybe the last drop or the last straw because a lot of fiction is maybe in advance of something we are going to live, but very often it's not totally misplaced. And so for me, this was a calling that I had to do something. Karin approached what might be challenging initially, studying at the ETH after having had a career and being home with her kids for a while. The novel she just mentioned, The Circle by Dave Eggers, was turned into a film with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson in 2017. We are our best selves. The possibilities are endless. At the circle, there isn't a problem that we cannot solve. We can cure any disease and we can end hunger. Dave Egger's story draws a dystopian world where a Google or Facebook-like company controls almost all of the search requests from all the computers in the world and collects and quantifies everything. Out of today's point of view, not that shocking, but just as relevant as when the novel came out in 2013 and turned into a bestseller. I didn't talk to Miriam about Egger's novel, but she herself has published several books as well. They might be page-turners, but are not at all fiction. Miriam's husband, though, John Matthias Cavelti, is a writer who, with his provocative views, irritates the Swiss literary scene with books called Endlich nicht Leser, finally, non-reader. Why am I talking about Miriam's husband? You'll find out in a few minutes. But back to Miriam now, who advises, researches and teaches. So I wanted to know from her, who is her typical student? I would say I have three different students and that's why I can't tell you about an average. What we teach and who actually needs to take my lectures on cybersecurity politics is the Swiss professional military. The ETH has an important part in educating them. They do a bachelor at the ETH in public policy. And they and the Swiss military has decided that they need to know about the cyber domain and how it influences, again, not the technological aspects of their work, but the more strategic, political, also the leadership aspects. So that's one group of students. Then I teach at the ETH in the so-called Science and Perspective program, which is for everybody at ETH. Again, you do not have a typical student there. They come from all over. So you have engineers, you have people from informatics, but also from the health department, from chemistry, architects as well. So Everybody who has an interest can sign up and we've seen a huge increase in numbers, which clearly shows how people are aware of 
the intersection between the technological and the more the political or the social and are interested in, in what it means. And the third is really the, that is the typical student, that's the master's student that does, it's called comparative and international studies degree at ETH. They are mostly political scientists and there we delve much deeper into the research that is emerging around the topic. So no, there's no typical student, but I think that's typical for the topic because it is really a topic that is of interest to everybody. Karim is not only a student working on her master's degree at the ETH, she's also one of the founders of the Cyber Group. The Cyber Group is an association at ETH from students, for students. What we want to do is we want to bring this cyber passion that is outside of ATH in connection with the passion that we want to create at ATH among the students. And we do that by inviting cyber experts to hold either workshops or study groups. But we also train competition teams for international cyber challenges. I saw a photograph of students actually from the cyber group. And on this picture, I saw these students that were extremely diverse. On the one hand, there was a young woman in a military uniform, and on the other hand, there was a young woman in a cocktail dress. Who is the typical cybersecurity student? I think the typical cybersecurity student is a very diverse group of people. Everybody who feels a calling to have an influence on how we work together, who wants to have an influence on how we are informed, who wants to have an influence how nations interact with each other. All these people can work and be active in cybersecurity. It really is throughout your life that you have to be aware of risks that come with IT and also with the positive benefits that come with IT. There is one characteristic, and it really is that they're all very enthusiastic and passionate. Talking about passions, Miriam has always been into music. Over time, her style preferences changed, or let's say, became more diverse. Right here, it's Miriam playing the bass. I used to be trained as a classical musician on the flute and the piano, and I even considered, you know, studying music or making this my profession, but then decided to go for the more uncertain, which was <laughs> political science. And through my husband, I got into heavy metal. Not necessarily music that I had listened before, but he's a big fan. And especially there's parts of metal that are also very innovative and experimental. So it was Miriam's husband, the writer John Matthias Cavelti, who got her into heavy metal and into an amateur band where she played the bass. And later, she even began playing another instrument in her cellar. Yeah, so we bought drums, electronic drums, so that it's not that loud. <laughs> it's very good way of, you know, letting off steam. So it's not really about uncertainty. It's much more about a balance in your psychological makeup that you can hit things very hard and you produce <laughs> music or noise or whatever you want to call it. And Karin, how does she actually relax? Does she watch any Netflix, for example, knowing so much about the dangers of social media, etc.? 
Are you talking about my biggest vice? <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, um, you know, we were speaking about uncertainties. And um, sometimes studying computer science at ATH, it is not without a reason one of the best universities for studying computer science. So it is tough. It is challenging. And you sometimes need a valve to just let go, distract, reward yourself. And especially in COVID times, for me, Netflix has been become one of these outlets. One thing is clear. Uncertainty and cybersecurity come as a pair. Me, as someone who doesn't know much about computer science and cybersecurity, I find it somewhat scary what's going on and that things are just happening at this extreme speed. I really believe that we should invest, regardless of our age, into constantly learning and challenging each other. And that's where you need privacy so that the networks you're using are not just streaming to your past you, but help you become a better you for the future. Karin and Miriam are both exciting people to talk to. They have a great sense of humor and share their insights about their field in a way that it becomes accessible and understandable for many people. More than anything else, any uncertainty fuels their thirst for more knowledge rather than linking it to fear. For me, actually, the question is, how do you deal with uncertainty? And I deal with uncertainty actually with two things. I know inactivity is also an activity. So by doing nothing, you're also making a decision. And it can be as bad as taking a decision. So that's not a choice. Uncertainty should not equal inactivity. And the other thing is with uncertainty, if you're uncertain, reach out, talk to people, challenge your own perception, challenge your own uncertainty, become more knowledgeable and increase the part you're certain about. I think that's how I tackle uncertainty also in cyber. Karin isn't just talking to me. She's actually talking to everyone who's listening right now and is saying everyone should pay attention to their own safety and get the information needed to diminish uncertainty. And I actually link uncertainty with hope because uncertainty gives you the chance to look at the challenge that is in front of you and reframe the question that you're dealing with. And if you reframe it positively with hope, you can have a positive impact. So I think uncertainty in cybersecurity has to deal with that our field or the digital world we're living in is evolving so fast. Of course, it cannot be perfect, but it leaves a lot of opportunity to improve it and to make it secure. So I actually look at the uncertainty as an opportunity. And Miriam, I asked her a bit naively if it was her goal as a scientist and policy advisor to eliminate uncertainty. Ah, that would be a nice goal. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. No, I don't believe that we can. And simply because, again, especially in cybersecurity, the insecurity emerges also through human innovation. There are uncertainties that will emerge in maybe tomorrow or in the future that we simply cannot know about yet. I think we need to learn how to deal with uncertainties. So for me, it is really a mindset, a shift, a shift away from believing that more data will solve all our problems or that better technologies will, you know, solve security issues. 
This is not going to happen once again because it's not just technological solutions that you can plug into uh, anywhere and then, you know, magically the issues are solved. So I think we need people everywhere that are aware that there will be uncertainties and that we again need to expect unexpected things to happen and that we need to be able to deal with them as they happen through, you know, being adaptive, flexible or resilient. It was great to talk to Miriam Duncavelti and Karin Holzhauser in this special series of the ETH podcast about uncertainty in many fields. Actually, our next guest is Gudela Grote. She's a professor of work and organizational psychology. I mean, you only learn and you only innovate if you expose yourself to uncertainty, right? Otherwise, it's just routine and you do everything you've always done and you know. So that step really into the uncertain. And, and we argue that that's actually a good step to take. And currently people look at us, are you crazy? I mean, we have plenty of uncertainty and leave us alone with that. One thing I'm certain about, my name is Jennifer Kakshuri, and I produced this episode of the ETH podcast with Thies Wachter's Audio Story Lab and sound designer Loki Fritz. Thanks for joining us.